So children can be make their way to junior church. We're going to turn to Acts 16 in a minute, and we're going to look up some other scriptures as well. So Acts 16 in just a minute, and look up some other, other scriptures as well. Uh, we're taking a break from Romans just for today as we talk about fathers and being a spiritual parent here this morning. Uh, where's Acts 16 in my Bible? So go ahead and take a moment to turn there. This year, my oldest daughter, Mercedes... You just saw her as Jess in the skit. My oldest daughter, Mercedes, will be turning 10 in just a couple months. Do you remember when you turned 10? I remember when I turned 10. And when I turned 10, I thought, that's a pretty big deal. I, I remember thinking, you should be allowed to drive when you turn 10, <laughs> right? And here she's turning 10, and she thinks it's a big deal, too. I guarantee it. Uh, this year, I also turned 40 years old, which you all know I've made no, made no secret about turning 40. As much as I hate to admit it, I, I always wanted to be older. When I turned 30, I wanted to be 40. People would ask me why, and I would say there's, uh, that 40, I thought, was probably the perfect age for a pastor. Uh, 30 is too young for a lot of people in today's churches. And 40, I thought, was probably just right. Now, in reality, in reality, it's the perfect age, you can determine that later on your own, uh, for a pastor in today's day and age. Because most of our churches are growing older more than they're growing younger. In other words, they're not reaching much of the younger generation. Therefore, uh, the uh, 40 seems so young, and 30 seems so young, and 20 seems so young. But... I've now served in full-time ministry in three older congregations, so 40 still does not seem to be the right age. Now I want to be 50. There you hear. But maybe, maybe God is teaching me contentment with my age. In 2017, the average life expectancy of an American man was 76.1 years old. And interestingly enough, the life expectancy of an American age... I mean, an American man is going down, not up. However, age is relative to the person, isn't it? My last church had a children's uh, child care and a preschool. And I would read to the kids every week or every, uh, close to every week. And we did puppets with the kids. We tried to connect uh, the pastorate and the church with the kids uh, because most of the kids were in the community. A lot of them didn't have a church. A lot of them were from very broken homes. And if you ask them in age, you ask a four-year-old, how old do you think somebody is? They, you know, an 18-year-old is very old to a four-year-old or a five-year-old. You know, age is relative to the beholder. To most of you, 40 is young, though it's technically middle age. Over the last several months and even last few years, I've realized that the desire to be older could make me miss out on my children's younger years. Do you ever realize that? That's really my reason for sharing this illustration or this anecdote. That oftentimes we're rushing so much ahead in life. Wanting another goal, another standard, uh, to complete a college course or maybe a certification for work or maybe we're waiting for our children to graduate high school or preschool or whatever it may be and we're missing the moment. We're missing the moment. And then it comes to graduation. And if you listen to the conversations at a lot of events, whether it's a family reunion or a graduation, 
a lot of the conversation revolves around something that happened 20 years ago. But we never take time to realize that time is passing us by. I realized that doing a funeral a number of years ago. I pastored, uh, senior pastor, two older congregations now, and one is associate, which was clearly an older congregation as well. I've done a lot of funerals. And uh, I, I notice I always like to let the family share. I like to let them meet with me, and we try to share on behalf of the person to celebrate their life as well as the gospel. And I realized that a lot of times what we're sharing are things that happened 20, 30 years ago. It's not recent. But we never take time to realize that time is passing us up. That's one of my exhortations. Be content with the moment. Be content with the moment you're in right now. That's not really the message of the sermon. It's just the message of the intro. My dad tells me his greatest joys were raising his three boys. He's told me that a number of times. I got two brothers, one older, we're younger. And he tells me his greatest joys were raising his three kids. And many of you might be able to think back and think the greatest joys were after your kids were grown. No, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I've heard being a grandparent is more fun, though. But probably in seriousness, you would admit the greatest joys you had were raising kids. Likewise... I am, have to admit, I really enjoy being a dad. Being a dad is a greater job than any other job I've ever had. I've had a lot of jobs. I worked, I worked at Lowe's in the hardware department and paint department. But being a dad is a greater job than that, is a greater title than that. It's, it's more stressful at times and more enjoyable all the time, all at the same time, actually. I worked at Tractor Supply Company, but being a dad beats that job. I worked at Dayton Pet Store called Jack's Aquarium and Pets, but being a dad is greater than that. I worked as a McDonald's shift manager, and being a dad clearly beats that job, too. <laughs> I also... Worked as an associate pastor and youth pastor and children's pastor. And, and in that role, I had fun playing games with the kids, teaching them the Bible. I had a little bit of fun having lock-ins with the kids. But I could have them, get them all hyped up and send them home. And being a dad beats that. And I've served as a senior pastor for the last 11 years. And my 12th year, I think, as a senior pastor. And being a dad is better than that as well. I want to be careful about rushing those years. I remember once I was dealing with a stressful time. Not that ministry is ever, ever stressful. Not at Bethel. But I was dealing with a stressful time. And this was actually at my last church. And Mercedes is in the back seat of my expedition. And we're driving somewhere. And my mind was on something going on with the church. And, and she's asking questions. Just like she was in this little skit. And she's asking questions. Hey, Daddy, why do they do this? Daddy, why do they do this? Daddy, why do they do this? And I'm, my mind is not on what she's asking. My mind is on something going on with the church and I was convicted I'm missing some of the best times because I'm focused on the wrong things for the young dads out there or those watching online as well as for any of you who are always rushing to the next task and missing the moment I have this illustration I did not write it it comes from Chuck Swindoll his book come before winter he says someday when the kids are grown things are going to be a lot different the garage won't be full of bikes, electric train tracks on plywood, sawhorses surrounded by chunks of two-by-fours, nails, a hammer and a saw, unfinished experimental projects, and the rabbit cage. Someday, he writes, I'll be able to park both cars neatly in just the right 
places and never again stumbled over skateboards, a pile of paper saved for the school's fun drive, or the bag of rabbit food now spilled. Ugh. Someday, when the kids are grown, the kitchen will be incredibly neat. The sink will be free of sticky dishes. The garbage disposal won't get choked on rubber bands or paper cups. The refrigerator won't be clogged with nine bottles of milk. And we won't lose the tops to jelly jars, ketchup bottles, the peanut butter, the margarine, or the mustard. The water jar won't be put back empty. The ice trays won't be left out overnight. The blender won't stand for six hours coated with the remains of a midnight malt. And the honey will stay, will stay inside the container. Yes, someday... When the kids are grown, things are going to be a lot different. One by one, they'll leave our nest, and the place will begin to resemble order, and maybe even a touch of elegance. The clink of china and silver will be heard on occasion. The crackling of the fireplace will echo through the hallway. The phone will be strangely silent. The house will be quiet and calm and always clean and empty and empty and filled with memories, and lonely. And we won't like it at all. And we'll spend our time not looking forward to someday, but looking back to yesterday. And thinking, we'll be thinking. Maybe we can babysit the grandkids and get some life back in this place for a change. It's just a message for all of us, and many of you, your grandparents. And, but it's just a reminder to enjoy the current day we live in. Because it sure does pass us up quickly, doesn't it? Not all men are dads, but all men have a spiritual, paternal influence. Whether we realize it or not, we are leading people spiritually one way or another. And this is for dads and moms. We are all spiritual influencers, whether we realize it or not. And that is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about being a spiritual parent right now. The reality is, there are many children without a father. There are many children without a spiritual father. In the Bible, Timothy was one of those children. He needed a spiritual father, and Paul took care of that job. My theme is, I want us to look at Paul serving as a spiritual father to Timothy. Paul serving as a spiritual father to Timothy. And, and I want to encourage you, all of you, all of us, to take seriously your role as a spiritual parent. Make disciples of young people. This is most important in your children, but also your grandchildren, but also all those God places in your life. We are all impacting people one way or another. Be a spiritual father. Be a spiritual mother to others. Let's read Acts 16, 1 through 3. Acts 16, 1 through 3. I've given you enough time to turn there in your Bibles or on your mobile phone or whatever it is. I think that's what the British call it, mobile. Uh, Paul came also to Derby, it says, and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Let's talk about Paul and Timothy for just a couple minutes. We just read this passage, Acts 16, 1 through 3. And in that passage, we see that Paul met Timothy, and Paul was obviously impressed. And notice, if you look at this passage, it says there was a disciple 
there named Timothy. It says that word, disciple. What was Timothy? A disciple. It, it doesn't just say he was a believer, though he definitely was. It doesn't just say he was a, a young man, though he definitely was. The, the, the text written by Dr. Luke, inspired by God, says a disciple there named Timothy. Now, now just looking at that, we could think he didn't need Paul to be a spiritual father. He was already a disciple. But as I'm going to make the case to you, we're going to show that Paul became a paternal influence, a spiritual influence on Timothy. From this passage, we see that Timothy's mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek. Paul wanted to take him along. From all indications, Timothy's father was not a believer. In fact, we can look at other passages for, from 1st and 2nd Timothy, and we see all indications that, Paul, that Timothy was raised with a spiritual influence being his mother and his grandmother, not his father. After, after this event, Timothy goes with Paul, and we see Timothy show up much in Paul's letters. In 1st Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes this, To Timothy... My true child in the faith. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, you all know Timothy was not Paul's child. Timothy was not Paul's son. Timothy was not even a child at this point. He, by the time of First Timothy, uh, they think he would be in his 30s, maybe lower 30s, maybe as old as 40. He certainly was not a child in the faith. And by that point, Tim, uh, Paul was probably in his lower 60s. And Paul writes to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul compares Timothy to a spiritual son. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, 2 Timothy 1, verse 2, Paul again writes, To Timothy, my beloved child. To Timothy, my beloved child. So both, both in 1 and 2 Timothy, we see this relationship that grew between Paul and Timothy. And, and we see the beginning of that relationship right there in Acts 16. Right there in Acts chapter 16, we see that the beginning of that relationship. Paul was available he was available. He had margin in his life. He had time in his life. Even though he was busy going all around the, the known world planting churches, he was available to take Timothy along and disciple Timothy. It would have been very easy for Paul to say, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. Barnabas, why don't you do this? Your name even means encourager. Why don't, why don't you do it? I'm busy, you know. He didn't. He could, have, he, could have, he could have left Timothy to many other people, but he could have delegated it. Paul didn't. Paul took Timothy along. We see Paul and Timothy's relationship. They had likely, Paul and Timothy likely traveled together for 10 years. They obviously had a special bond. First and second Timothy are written to Timothy from the apostle Paul while Timothy was serving as the interim pastor in Ephesus. Timothy ended up serving as the interim pastor in Ephesus. That's, that's where first and second Timothy were written to. Uh, then one more passage I want to show you in Philippians chapter 2 verse 22. Philippians 2.22, Paul writes this. He says, but... You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Isn't that powerful? You know Timothy's proven worth. Timothy's worth has been proven, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. 
So we see an example here of Paul and Timothy, of, of the Apostle Paul being this spiritual parent. He was not the biological parent of Timothy, but he served as a spiritual parent to Timothy. That, that's an example that we all can follow. And maybe you can think in your life of people who served in that role, filled in, the, uh, in that role as a, as a spiritual parent. Maybe it was your actual father. Maybe it was somebody else, a youth pastor, a children's pastor, a coach, a, <clears throat> somebody else that you knew within the church family who mentored you and discipled you and God used, and they came along as a spiritual parent. Right now, we talk a lot about youth leaving the church and people done with the church, and we talk a lot actually about people who have never actually grown up in the church. But interestingly enough, I heard this through a breakpoint commentary the other day through the Colson Center. They said, with the drastic numbers of people leaving the church right now, if you take out those that did not have a fatherly influence, the numbers would be minimal. In other words, a lot of the people leaving the church, upset with the church, done with the church, never had a, a, a father who was a spiritual leader in the home. The impact of a father being a spiritual leader in the home is amazing. In fact, if you study the life and history of Charles Darwin and many noted atheists, outspoken atheists, many times they had a very, very poor relationship with their father, including some of the early Marxist leaders, um, uh, Karl Marx and many others. They had a poor relationship with the father. The father is so important. It makes us look at things and the things we see in the Bible, the household codes in Ephesians 5 and 6 and 1 Peter 3 and Colossians 3 and other places within the Bible, and we think, well, God really did know what he was instructing us in. Right? And we say that, I don't mean that comically, though, it is, though I said it in a sarcastic way. God knows what he's doing when he sets up the family and tells, exhorts fathers to be that spiritual influence. But sometimes, many times, when the father's gone because death takes them too young, or maybe the father's not a believer, God uses other people in the church to be that spiritual leader. And that's what we see with Paul with Timothy. That's what we saw in a way with my youth pastor. My dad was very present, but he was not a spiritual leader at that time. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. So let's talk about serving as a spiritual parent. What is this like? You know, sometimes we think, okay, I can, I can be a paternal role. I can be a spiritual leader. I can coach. I can take a, take a young person fishing. I can do things like that. And, and, and that's not all that this means. And that, that's very important. A lot, of, a, lot of ta- a lot of spiritual influence can take place in hanging out with young people and building relationships with young people. In fact, our elders are going through the book Growing Young, which I would highly commend to all of you. And in the research uh, in the book Growing Young, in other words, that's about how do churches reach young families. Relationships are critical. But it's more than just hanging out. It's more than just inviting a young person over for a football game. Because if you're watching the Browns, you're probably going to get pretty... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I just wanted to bring some humor, right? And if you're watching the Steelers, you'll probably get just as upset. But it's more than that. It might include that, but we are being intentional to pass on spiritual advice, spiritual influence to young people. And that could be our grandchildren. It could be our great-grandchildren. It could be nieces, nephews. It could be maybe there's kids that you see at the church, and and God's giving you the opportunity to talk to them a number of times. And you think, I'm going to talk to their parents and see about taking them out to breakfast. Obviously, you work with the parents, you know, first and foremost. You're You're going the extra mile. You're going the extra level. Many times we don't want to do that. Many times we think, oh, I'm too busy. Oh, let somebody else do it. But God does so much. You could be the employer. 
And God's using you in more ways than you realize with your employees being a spiritual influence as well. This is, this is about mentoring someone younger than you in the faith and in the ministry. The gospel is at the center. The gospel is at the center. I want to emphasize that. The gospel is at the center of serving as a spiritual parent. However, understand that the gospel must be at the center of parenting in general. You know, you've heard me preach a number of times on Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, which exhorts parents to talk about the word of God while you're walking along the road in everything that you do. And it ought to be the same thing as serving as a spiritual influence with other young people. Serving as a spiritual parent does begin with a relationship with someone younger than you. But it continues as you study the Bible together, as you model what it means to be a man or woman of God. Serving as a spiritual parent continues as you share life together. But in doing so, you are modeling and teaching how to be a man or woman of God. You are modeling service to the church. You are modeling and teaching evangelism, discipleship. Worship, ministry, and fellowship. Being a spiritual parent means that the gospel is everything. And let me ask you, is the gospel everything to you? We see here the influence that Paul had on Timothy, right? I guarantee you they weren't just going to gladiator games together. I'm not saying Paul was against gladiator games. We see sports references. Maybe they played sports together. Maybe they boxed together. There's a, there's a book on the Apostle Paul that says he might have boxed. It was quite common, you know, in, the, in, um, in those days. It would have been something for his younger days. But I guarantee we see with Paul, with Timothy, that they did ministry together. They were serving churches together. They were sharing the gospel together. Listen, if we do not teach our biological children the gospel, we have taught them nothing worthwhile. And I mean that. We might live this life 80, 90, 100 years old. Randy Alcorn wrote on one of his blogs this past week about this man. He's 105 years old and he's still alive. And this man, my dad's actually met him. He owns a business in Lima, Ohio. And in the 1930s, God convicted him to dedicate the business to the Lord. So he set up a, a, a board with a nonprofit, and 50%, I think it was 50% of the earnings was just to go to this nonprofit. It, didn't, it did not even go through him at all. It just went straight to this nonprofit. And then later on, the, the business developed, the business grew, and God convicted him to dedicate something like 80% of the business to the Lord. And guess what? The nonprofit managed it, and the nonprofit made sure that Christian groups were getting, you know, the business, uh, getting the financial re, um, earnings of the business. And then later on, God convicted this man to dedicate 100% of the business to the Lord. And I emailed this article about this to my dad, and my dad's in sales, and he said, I met him. And actually, this man would interview any potential salesman to hear about their life and their commitment to the gospel before he would do business with them. But this man has lived 105 years old. He's still living. But that's very rare, isn't it? He has dedicated his life to the Lord. He dedicated his business to the Lord. There's many lessons we can learn from that. But say that you are successful and you live 90, 100 years on this, on this earth. That's nothing compared to eternity. So if we teach our kids everything they need for success, everything they need for success, but they do not know Jesus, they can be billionaires in this life, but it means nothing in the end. It means nothing in the end. We need to take the spiritual influence that we have as parents or grandparents or others, aunts, uncles, you know, whatever, wherever God places you. And we need to take that so very seriously. 
My youth pastor was a spiritual parent for me. And my parents would probably admit that. My parents were very involved, but they were not very involved in the church at the time. We did not go to church regularly until I was in ninth grade. It was a youth group that got me involved in the church. It was my peers in the youth ministry that got me coming to church Sunday morning. I came to youth group Wednesday night, and my peers said, hey, you're coming Sunday morning? And I'm like, uh, I didn't think about it, but sure. You know, if you'll be there, I'll be there. And my youth pastor, you know, took me under his wing, and he discipled me. And it went so much more than, than simply Sunday school in youth group and a Sunday morning worship service. My youth pastor was a jack-of-all-trades. He liked to restore old cars. In fact, he has since got a 57 Chevy, which he did some restoration work on. When I was in his youth group, he, he had this like 1969 uh, big truck with a Ford 2 big block engine in it, and he thought he wanted to get, uh, it, it had got kind of um, rusty and things like that, so he found a new body for the truck with a new truck bed. And I went with him, and we were going to pick up the the pieces they were that like he's pulling a trailer it was in pieces and he was going to put it together and make the truck look nice which he did so we go to pick it up and the truck that he was picking up to take the parts from that truck and put it on his truck he had to obviously get the title for it and the man and i'm with him i'm with the youth my youth pastor and the man said to my youth pastor he said how much do you want me to put down on the title that i'm selling this to you for he was willing to put down a dollar, you know, because you've got to pay tax on that, on that other dilapidated truck that he was getting. And, and so my youth pastor said, put down the total that I'm buying it from you for. Put down the actual total. And he did not realize of that at that time what he was modeling to me. He was modeling integrity. I'm not going to lie on this. You, get, got, you know, he had every opportunity to lie on this title, but he wasn't going to do that. He was going to have integrity and pay you know, the taxes on, you know, that were appropriate and proper for that. He was a spiritual influence uh, for me, a very, very, very important spiritual influence to me. So who has God placed in your life that maybe right now your spiritual influence is on them. It might be your children still, no matter how old they are, you are still a spiritual parent for them. It might be your grandchildren. Uh, um, maybe God wants you to go deeper into the waters of faith, so to speak, and put yourself out there and take on a new mentoring role. It could be employees. It could be coaching. You know, coaches have a very, very important role. Sometimes God wants us to get involved in something new. There are a lot of areas in our society that really, really, really need godly role models. It might be scouting. It could be coaching. It could be the, our youth ministry. I'm sure Kevin and Wendy would love to have other volunteers. I'm sure Pastor Carl would love to have other volunteers as well. Maybe you're too busy. And in that case, maybe God's going to tell you, slow down. Put more margin in your life. Make time to be used of him in this way. And I encourage you, as an application, take out your bulletin before you leave here and write down a name in your bulletin and take it home and pray about it. Now, you might already have names in, in, in mind. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren that you're already working on. Well, but maybe, maybe you have grandchildren that, that God's going to lay it on your heart to have a conversation with them. And maybe you need to call them up this week and say, look, I want to talk to you about my relationship with Christ. Maybe, maybe you've avoided that topic. And I encourage you to write that down in your bulletin and write down, this week, I'm going to call them up. 
And I'll have a conversation with them. Or maybe it's an employer, an employee, or employer, or niece, or nephew, or someone else. That's fine. Just write down the name and make an application that this week you're going to talk to them about your faith in Christ. Slow down and make time. Oftentimes, we miss what God wants us to do because we do not allow margin in our life. We speed from one activity to another, and we miss many opportunities that God has placed in our lives. I want to say this. Some of the most important moments I've had with my children have been inconvenient. And would you all, maybe, maybe you're, many of you are further along with me than, than me. Maybe you would agree with that, right? Um, Several years ago, probably five or six years ago, Mercedes woke up sick. I got up with her. And I thought, I'm going to get some work done. It was like 4 a.m. So, so I go in the kitchen and I start taking care of dishes. And, and, and then I realized very quickly that Mercedes did not, did not want me to be doing dishes. She wanted me to sit with her on the couch. She wanted presence. Not presence with a T at the end. Presence ending with the NCE. She wanted presence with her father. There's a time period from when Mercedes was like two years old until she was uh, six or so that she would get bad colds or it could even have been allergies and she would cough to the point when she would throw up. And it would happen several times at night. And obviously we don't like cleaning that stuff up in the bed in the morning. So we would listen closely, and if we heard her coughing in the night, I would go and get her up for a while, get her to drink something, whatever. There was one particular night I remember she, she woke up, and she starts coughing, and all the phlegm and whatever comes up, and she looks at me, and she's probably three years old, and she says, I get one George. I get one episode of Curious George before I go back to bed. <laughs> like, okay, you get one episode of Curious George. There were many nights when I sat up with her, and, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was inconvenient. I was tired. I would wake up and think, oh, you know, I want to rest. I want to trade it for the world. Many times God is at work in times that are inconvenient. And, and that's an example of being a biological parent, an actual parent, you know. But it could be an example of being a mentor. Celebrate Recovery, which I really, really want to get started at Bethel Friends. It's on my prayer list every day. A big part of it is giving people, you know, people uh, that they can call, you know, when they're facing pressure. It could be pressure for alcohol or drugs or maybe anger, maybe pornography, maybe anxiety. Are, are we able to be there for people? Be there for people to call. And many times we think, oh, that's just for the alcoholics. No, it's for everyone. Every one of us need to be able to be there for people. They can call us when, when they're in a time of need. It could be depression. It could be sadness because they just lost a spouse. It could be whatever. And we need to be able to be there for people, even if it's the middle of the night where we can say, yeah, let's talk. Let's pray together. I don't care if it's the middle of the night. I want to be there for you because Jesus wants me to be there for you too. Many times, no. Many times we'd rather be busy. Let somebody else do it. I was talking to one of you actually once when I first came to the church, and they talked about somebody who, who called him, and the man was very depressed, and the man called this, this man and, 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 and was talking about taking his life. And the man from our church who told me this said, I'll be over, and came over to spend time with him that night. We need to be able to be there for people. We need to be able to be self-sacrificing for other people. I know that many of you are. I don't mean to just be critical. Many of you are. Many of you aren't. Many of you are there for physical felt needs, but maybe you need to go the next step spiritually and take it to the gospel level. Truett Cathy 
is probably best known for his Chick-fil-A restaurants. We all probably like Chick-fil-A, right? If we showed a show of hands, we could all say, God bless Chick-fil-A, right? <laughs> Truett Cathy is probably best known for his Chick-fil-A restaurants. And I like the food he helped make popular, but I'm most appreciative of the work he does to help boys. This, this is somebody who wrote it, but I agree. Who helped, uh, he did work to help boys who face the prospect of growing up without a father. Mr. Cathy has been mentoring youngsters for more than 60 years. Now, Truett Cathy went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. But before that, he mentored young men for many, many years, more than 60 years. He runs a camp, he ran a camp and foster care program designed to help give children of broken homes a second chance at life. It's an inspiring program. Get this. Boys are matched with mentors and father figures. And some are even placed in full-time Christian foster homes. Many are given the opportunity to work side-by-side with Mr. Kathy on a beautiful farm in the rolling hills of Rome, Georgia. Truett Kathy is a well-known, or was a well-known, still is a well-known, Southern gentleman. But he's more than just a nice guy with business savvy. He knows how boys think. Most importantly, he knows what they need. A father, or at the very least, a strong male role model. Mr. Kathy traveled the country with a simple but strong message. Listen to this. You can make a difference. It's better to build boys than to have to mend men. It's better to build boys than have to mend men. And it's almost impossible to mend men. Mercedes and Abigail were playing, and they were playing quite nicely yesterday, which happens occasionally. And they were playing in their room, and they sent me an email Um, that said, come to my room at 4 o'clock. And then they changed the appointment time to 3.30, but I made them wait till 4 o'clock. And so I went in there, and they said, here's some snacks, and you got to sit here. And and we're going to now read Genesis chapter 2. Each person is going to read two verses. And then we're going to sing one of my favorite hymns. Mercedes had a hymn known. She got out the hymn known found the hymn, um, which actually I forget which one it was, but it was a very good hymn. And it was inconvenient. I had things to do, but it was a joy. And it was a moment that you just want to treasure. Before that, a few hours before, Mercedes was going around with a pretend wand, and she said, what are your wishes? You get three wishes. And I said, I don't really want to play genie with three wishes right now. And then she kept bugging me about it. So eventually I said, okay, I wish for this. And I forget what it was. But then I said, I take that back. The biggest wish is that you two know Jesus and serve him with all your life. You have Christian spouses that you're a woman of God, married to men of God. Then my grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren will know the Lord. And I wonder, and I hope, and I pray that that is the greatest wish for you as well. And I pray and I hope that you're willing to even make it an inconvenient prayer request, meaning you're going to pray about it. I don't care how old your kids are. I don't care how old your grandchildren are. You're going to pray about it, and you're going to be there, and you're going to be intentional. Be intentional. Pick up the phone. Call. Try to do something. Now, don't pester 
Don't annoy. Don't bug. Some of you might have children that have strayed from the Lord, and you know that you've already said something a number of times, and you can't keep bugging them because you push them away. I agree with that. I'm not saying that. But many times we make excuses not to talk about Jesus at all. And we need to talk about the Lord with our kids, with our grandkids, and with others. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for fathers. You use fathers. I thank you certainly for the experience I had yesterday with Mercedes and Abigail wanting to pretend Bible study, which really wasn't pretend. It was real. It was transparent. We even uh, sang a hymn together. And Lord God, I certainly pray first and foremost that my children, Mercedes and Abigail, that though they are young, that their faith will persevere. They'll persevere in the faith all their days. But Lord God, I know that many people within this congregation have children. Many have grandchildren. Many even have great-grandchildren. And I pray, Lord God, that we'd use their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, to talk about the faith, to be a spiritual influence. For many of these people, you want them to talk about the faith with others as well. Nieces, nephews, those they coach, employees they have, maybe the neighbor friend. And Lord God, I pray that you would use us just like you used the Apostle Paul with Timothy. Use us for your work. And first and foremost, Lord God, may we be making you Lord of our life. May we be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. To you be the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I invite you to stand for the closing hymn, which is Abba, Father. And as always, these altars are open. If the Lord's laid anything on your heart that you want to pray about, come on forward. Amen, Mary.